You're listening to the podcast, So You Want to Be a Writer, with Valerie Koo and Allison Tate. Valerie is an author, journalist, and national director of the Australian Writers Centre, which is one of the world's leading providers of online and classroom courses for people who want to get published and write with confidence. Alison Tate is a freelance writer, blogger, and author of the best-selling series, The Mapmaker Chronicles. She has more than 20 years' professional writing experience. Each week, they explore the world of writing, publishing, and blogging to bring you news and opportunities, advice on how to succeed in the world of writing, interviews with top writers, and much more. With students enrolling from all over the world, you can find out more about the Australian Writer Centre at writercentre.com.au. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 166 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo, and I'm here with Alison Tate. How are you, Al? I am fair to middling, I think we could say, Valerie. Middle of the school holidays, fair to middling is about as good as it gets this week. Yeah, fair enough. And are you coping with the school holidays? Oh, yeah, because you just do. Like, what are you going to (laughs) do? I can hardly throw my hands up in the air and say, that's it. I'm Send them back to school. <laughs> take to my bed, can I? Like that's not going to work. I'd like to. Like I can think of nothing better. Who? I remember we had the conversation about the author that eats donuts and whiskey in bed before they get up to write. Remember that? It was a, yeah. few, it was a few episodes ago now. But I could be that right now, but I'm not because I am a responsible parent. And so I am on my feet and I am working and I am, you know, as we discussed last week, I'm not – um, entertaining the children. I'm yes. allowing the children time to entertain themselves. What are they know. entertaining themselves doing? Ah, oh, well, they have. Um, well, you know, if if given the choice, my youngest, mm. Mr. Ten, would just pretty much spend the entire day playing the PS4 or you know, or his yeah. iPod or something, you know. Mm. Uh, but they're allocated one hour screen time <laughs> a oh. day. Okay. Um, as far as that stuff goes, like I, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not quite as draconian as to not allow them to watch television as well. But we, yeah, they just get it's, it's one hour on on it, at the device of your choice, so to speak. So, um, which is pretty difficult in the holidays because it's, um, you know, we have many hours to fill. Um, mm. But we, no, I just I encourage them to do other things. Like he spends a lot of time on the trampoline because right. I mean, I swear. With a, he's like an energizer bunny. This wow. kid, like he never ever stops. He's like mm. he's built. He's got this like core of steel, mm. and I'm pretty sure the core of steel just comes from the many hours a day that he spends on the trampoline. So he will be out there doing that sort of stuff. And um, and my oldest book boy is uh, reading books because he's yes. got to kind of get ahead for the term for his book reviews. Oh, yes. Um, and he's writing songs and he's, you know, faffing about and riding his bike. They go, they ride their bikes and they, you know, they just do kid stuff. But I just feel like it's, um, they need some time to, uh, to do kid stuff. So, so that's what we do. So one hour screen time, does that include the TV? No, that's what I'm saying. One hour is the devices. It's it's because yeah, it's yeah, those yeah. close. It's that close screen time. I mean, they do watch oh. some TV, you know, during the day, but they don't. Neither of them has a huge tolerance for television. Like they'll do, you know, an hour at a time and wander away and then not come back for you know a long time. And I think that's just a. I think it's a habit thing as much as anything. Yeah, because sure. it's always we've always been like. All right, you've been sitting there for too long. Go and do something else. So it's yes. like off they go with much whinging. Like they're not. <laughs> Let's just point out that there is a lot of whinging. And there's a, the other thing that they're doing, which they do, they could do for Australia, is bickering. 
<laughs> bickering constantly. National champion bickerers. <laughs> oh, I swear they would be podium finishers if there was a bickering championship. So they are, that's what they're doing a lot of that, which then involves me doing a lot of shrieking. So I could probably shriek mm. for Australia as well. We're, we're, you know, we're a team. What can I say? <laughs> but, you know, the screen time thing reminded me of an article that came out recently by an Australian Writers' Centre graduate um, or alumni, uh, Megan Blanford, and she wrote an article, I think it was for Domain, I could be wrong, and it was about, um, you know, here's the reality of moving to the country. And she writes about how she's moved to, I think it's Beechworth, um, yes. somewhere in rural Victoria, in country Victoria, and uh, and how, um, you know, she did all of her research and all of that because she is a full-time writer now and she researched the internet and the NBN and all that kind of stuff, but... <laughs> After they bought the house and moved in, the internet, as I already had experienced in rural Victoria, was beyond woeful. Mm. But the upshot of that is that her children actually can't spend time on devices. Because <laughs> Cause there's no internet. Well, or, the, or the, the small amount of internet that is, she has to use it, you know. Um, mm-hmm. It can't be wasted on Netflix and that sort of thing. And that someone at their local school, like a visitor to their local school, um, commented while observing the children, oh, my goodness, they look so happy and they're all playing and with each other and not a single person is looking at a device. And one of the fathers says, yeah, that's because the internet's really crap out here or something. <laughs> I don't know. He probably didn't speak with that accent. Sorry about that. I, that was no, probably stereotyping a, people yes. from Beechworth. Sorry. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's interesting. If you actually don't have the internet, you don't even have to limit your time on devices because it's simply not an opportunity. But no. it's probably well, here on the South Coast, we're actually NBN friendly. We are we yes. are all of the internet. We have so much internet. It's not. It's just ridiculous, really, how much internet we actually have. So, uh, the opportunities are are there. But what they do love, and this is quite interesting too, is um, is uh, they just love YouTube videos. Like they love they like they, oh, so. Yeah. So the youngest one sometimes has to make a decision about whether he's going to play the PS4 or whether he's going to, and this just blows my mind every time, Mm. whether he's going to watch YouTube videos of someone else playing the PS4. I know, bizarre, I'm just like, what are you doing? But But he absolutely loves them. Yeah, but people watch adults watch Gogglebox. Uh, well, true, yeah. And, no, like, right. someone said to me the other day, have you watched the finale of, big of you know, whatever show? And I went, oh, no. And he said, neither have I, but I've watched people on Gogglebox watch the finale. Okay. Yeah, all right. You know what? Now that you say that, it's probably very similar. But, yeah, he goes, I just learn new things all the time watching this, Mum. And I'm like, okay, really? whatever. But, yeah, okay. anyway, we've probably discussed the internet enough. Shall we move on? Yes. All right. Uh, We have a shout out to Monique Mulligan, don't we? We do. Monique wrote a blog post and her blog post is called The Wall of Self-Doubt and Why You Need to Get Over It. And it's a lovely, lovely post. And it was about how she'd hit the wall with her writing, um, you know, in the sense of, you know, she'd got to the point in her writing her novel where she was like, why did I ever think I could do this? And um, I had to laugh because I'm pretty sure that every single person who's ever written a novel has hit that wall at some point. And I still (laughs) hit that wall every time I write 
a novel every single time. And yeah. I'm, you know, I, I'm working on the second book at the Adaban Cipher series at the moment, and I've actually drafted the whole thing and I'm editing and I've hit the wall now. Like I've managed to get through the actual writing of it, but now I'm like, oh, this could possibly be the worst thing ever written. And I think that <laughs> it's really important to recognize that you're not by yourself. But anyway, so she she talks about how the wall came out of nowhere and she was just, you know, ha- she just hadn't wanted to write because she was kind of too scared to do it and blah, blah, blah. And then she talks about the fact that instead of forcing herself to write, she focused on building herself up. And I think that this is a really great great approach. So she did meditation, reading, she chilled out, she mm. bought a new stovetop kettle that she wanted, all of those <laughs> sorts of things. But here we go. And now I'm, I'm getting to the point, people. Trust me, there is one. And she says, Monique Mulligan, I've listened to a fantastic podcast called So You Want to Be a Writer by Valerie Koo and Alison Tate. And she, um, she uh, actually references a particular episode that we had a few weeks ago where you shared the playlist for Writer's Block. Do you remember oh, that? Yes, from Lynn Manuel Miranda, who is of yes. course the creator of the hit musical Hamilton. Yes, that's right. And so that particular episode gave her hope, which you know I'm just feeling pretty good about that, as well as answering some questions that she'd been mulling over. So I'd just like to say thank you so much for the shout out in your blog post, Monique. And we will of course put the um, put the link to that in the show notes because I think that it's worth reading mm. for everyone, for every aspiring author, for every because. just that sort of resonance that you're not alone. Everyone goes through this and, you know, published authors go through this, uh, professional authors go through this, writers of all kinds go through this. So it's really worth having a look. And I think that the way that Monique approached it was a really good one. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, you can find the show notes at soyouwanttobeawriter.com.au. So yes, thank you, Monique. And also just a quick shout out to Miss Kay, who is at KDKels on Twitter, who uh, also thanked us for that um, playlist. It turns out that she is a big Lin-Manuel Miranda fan, just like me. So good on you, Miss Kay. We've got, we've both got great taste. Just gave yourself a shout out there. Yeah, that's right. Now, I want to move on to another blog post, this time by Karen Woodward. And she has a blog over at karenwoodward.org. And she wrote a post called Writing a Murder Mystery, Character Creation, The Murderer. Part one of two. So there's actually two parts, but but this is a good one. Um, And one of the things that she says is how to make an interesting murderer. So Mm. she's got a few points there. And one is make the antagonist sympathetic, which is kind of, um, you know, pretty straightforward. But then the antagonist provides obstacles for the protagonist. Fine. The antagonist is equal but opposite. But here, one crucial difference. She says, there is one crucial difference between the protagonist and antagonist, apart from the obvious. She says, the protagonist will hold a value that the antagonist doesn't. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, the protagonist generally does something unselfish. Sometimes it doesn't even make much rational sense. And the example she gives is, in Raiders of the Lost Ark, Dr. Belloc was Indiana Jones's nemesis. They, They were both archaeologists. They were both passionate about finding and bringing back the Ark, and they both liked Marion Ravenwood. The big difference, people were more important to Indiana than relics. So Mm. it's just a few interesting points on how to um, create an interesting murderer. However, she also says five questions to ask about the murderer. And if you're at the, I mean, if you're a veteran crime um, or mystery writer, 
you might have all of this down pat, but if you're thinking of writing crime or mystery or thriller type books, then here's some useful questions. Uh, Who does the murderer need to kill? Mm. And interestingly, what is the murder method? Now, of course, that seems like an obvious thing to think about, but I would like to go a step further. And not only do you need to think about the murder method, you actually need to think about if the way you are writing about it is is realistic because Mm -hmm. there's a bunch of people out there who will point out any inaccuracies and who will point out someone can't die like that. You can't just kill someone by doing that, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, I suggest that you have a look at um, the, at Candace Fox's course, uh, how to write about murder, um, which you'll find at murdercourse.com. If you are interested in writing about anything, you know, to do with this kind of thing. Right. Um, and, of course, she goes on that there are other questions to ask the murderer. I particularly why? like why yes. does the killer need to kill? What is her motivation? And yes. she uses um, yes. a P.D. James quote, and I absolutely – I P.D. James was one of my all-time favourite murder mystery authors. Mm. She once wrote, all motives can be explained under the letter L, lust, lucre, loathing and love. And wow, I think that's, that's probably cool, true. It? Yeah, it's really, mm. really good because it's definitely with like what motivates someone to kill. You know, is it the money? Is it the love? Is it the, yes. you know, hatred? What is it? Like to have a look at why that person. And the why is always for me the most interesting, Absolutely. the most interesting bit of any story, really. People's motivations. Mm. So that's lust, lucre, loathing and love. And lucre is L-U-C-R-E and it means mm. greed. Mm. Money. Yes. Follow the money. Yes. yes. Um, also, what does the murderer stand to lose? What are the stakes? And what did the killer do wrong? What did mm-hmm. she overlook? That's always useful because mm-hmm. that's the thing that's going to leave the clues or plant the seed or get, enable the killer to be caught in the end. Mm. So, that's yeah, actually a really good little post, isn't it? Really useful. It is. Mm. We'll put that in the show notes. Um, now here's an interesting thing that, oh, okay. So let me just ask you this, Al, if you could go like tomorrow, um, you could go to any city in the world for a little holiday, like a week or whatever, mm-hmm. where would you go? Uh, New York. Really? Are you yes. not just saying that? No, I like New York. Oh, because this post is about New York. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> so, if you're oh. going to go. Did, Sorry, did I should have said somewhere else. Did you really just say that or like without looking at the thing? At yeah, the post? I, yeah, because I don't even have the post. I don't even, okay, I'm, so, I'm such a crap right. co host. No, I don't even have the post open. That's great. That's perfect because um, it would be my choice as well. And one of the things that I'm hanging to do now, uh, next time I go to New York, which I have no idea when that will be, but I'm hoping that a genie will come out of a bottle and grant me three wishes and enable me to go to New York. One of the things I love, and take you with me, um, one of the things I love about New York, it is so incredibly rich in literary history and the arts, of course. It's such a fantastic place to go to museums and galleries and things like that. Um, But one of the things I love to do is really immerse myself in the literary landscape in New York. Um, And last time, well, one of the times I was there, I stayed in the Library Hotel just to keep the theme going, which was only a block from the New York Library. Mm. I have my my New York Library card and I go in there (laughs) and I borrow my books and stuff like that. And 
it's it, and just sit there and absorb the atmosphere. But there is this thing now where you can take a virtual walking tour of literary New York locations. So you might, for example, take the um, Harper Lee tour uh, because she spent a lot of time in, in New York during mm. a certain period, even though you might think of Alabama or wherever because of To Kill a Mockingbird. Um, she spent a lot of time in New York and hung out there and had uh, rented an apartment, wrote for 12 hours a day, had had a friends there. And there's a whole bunch of um, – different authors that you can immerse yourself in and walk around and listen to these, you know, these tours, which are kind of like podcasts really. Mm. Um, And what a great way to hang out in New York and discover New York rather than going on a bus tour or rather Mm. than going on the usual Sex in the City tour, you can always find Carrie's Stoop by yourself and and not necessarily have to end the day with a cosmopolitan. Go on a literary walking tour by yourself with your iPod or iPhone. What a great idea. I think we should be. I think we should go. I think you and I should go and do this because I okay. feel that this is a thing that would be useful. Anyone yeah. would like to sponsor us to go to New York to yeah. do the literary tour? Feel free. <laughs> yeah, feel free. We'll go. Free. Yeah, we'll do we it. Yeah, we'll do it. All right. <laughs> so um, let's move on to our giveaway for this week. Our giveaway is for anyone who wants to win seven books in our Mother's Day book pack. And if you enter, because maybe you want to give seven books to your mum or you're a mum and you just want to give it to yourself or you're none of the above and you just want to keep the books, <laughs> then you can win these seven books. And we will, uh, the plan is to post it to you, get it to you before Mother's Day so you can give it to your mum if you, you know, mm. are nice and generous. So they those books are Redeemable, A Memoir of Darkness and Hope by Erwin James, Police at the Station and They Don't Look Friendly by Adrian McKinty, I Hate the really Internet. Good. Yep, I Hate the Internet by Jarrett Kobeck, Lincoln in the Bardo by George Sanders, Storm and Grace by Catherine Heyman, Third Time Lucky by Carly Lane, and Their Brilliant Careers, The Fantastic Lives of 16 Ordinary Australian Writers by Ryan O'Neill. So the competition closes the 1st of May and you need to get your entries in by going to writerscentre.com.au slash win. That's writerscentre.com.au slash win. And remember, if you are listening to this particular episode as part of the back catalogue sometime in the future, don't worry, just go to that URL anyway, and there will be something else that you can win. So make sure you enter. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. Want to transform your writing process? Our course, Two Hours to Scrivener Power, shows you how to get up and running on the world's most powerful writing software program, Scrivener. Presented by super user and author Natasha Lester, you'll learn how to get started with Scrivener and master it, and learn from Natasha's insights on how to navigate and optimise the program so you can transform and simplify your writing process. If you've been waiting for the right opportunity to learn Scrivener, this is a step-by-step guide to help you get there. Plus, because it's one of our on-demand courses, you can learn at your own pace with 12 months access to all course materials. 
You can find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash power. Are we ready for the word of the week? <laughs> yes, Valerie, we are ready. <laughs> All right. Um, the word of the week is ekphrastic. Have you heard mm. of that? No. It ekphrastic. sounds like a brand of glue or something. It does, doesn't it? Okay, so it's ekphrastic, E-K-P-H-R-A-S-T-I-K. Okay. I know. It's like, mm. yeah, an interesting looking word as well. Now, I actually came across this word because Karen Andrews has a new book of poetry called On the Many Shapes Bodies Will Take. And she describes her poetry as ekphrastic. So, mm. what does ekphrastic mean? What does it mean? mean? Yes. Well, this is the adjective that comes from the word ekphrasis, which, according to the Macquarie Dictionary, means the use of one art form to provide a commentary on or an explanation of another art form with the intention of making the latter more accessible to a particular audience. Mm. Mm. <laughs> so interesting, ekphrastic palms. There you go. Okay. Um, yeah. Anyone let us know if you can get that one into a blog post. That would be yeah. fabulous. Absolutely. <laughs> and best of luck with the book, Karen. Yes, best of luck, Karen. All right. Who is our who is our writer in residence this well, week? This, well, I have to say this was one of the more entertaining um interviews I've had because this week we're uh, interviewing Rachel Lucas. Now, Rachel is a um, an, a UK-based author and you will hear the Scottish accent in her voice when we speak. Um, so she, it's a great story because she and I met via Twitter in 2009 and we do talk about this a little bit in the interview, but um, so we both had blogs and we were both, you know, writing these lifestyle blogs and we kind of came across each other via blog hops and various things and we have been Twitter buddies, you know, tweeps, whatever, since 2009. And we've never spoken to each other, obviously, mm. because we're just, you know, there we are. Um, so we got a tweet regularly. And then, so there we were last night and the, it was just very funny because um, her new book, The State of Grace is a YA novel, which is a bit of a departure for her. She has been writing uh, romantic comedy. Um, and her book came out in Australia on the same day as the Mapmaker Chronicles and um, Beyond the Edge of the Map, the fourth book. On And then her book also came out in the UK on the same day as the Mapmaker Chronicles became available in the UK. So we've kind of like these, you know, these people on the opposite side of the world who know each other via Twitter only and we've become these like publication day twins, which is just hilarious. But um, so it was really lovely to speak to her after all of these years of, of you know, sort of chatting away on Twitter and things like that. So we talked about her, you know, her um, obviously her career and her new book and all that sort of stuff. But we also had, you know, quite a funny little chat just about social media for authors because I think it's um, it's definitely – how we came across each other and now I'm, ne- I'm, you know, through networking, I'm interviewing her for the podcast and helping to promote her book here uh, in Australia and also in the UK. So um, it's, it's uh, yeah, it was, it was an interesting chat, a late night chat for me. So, you know, if I sound like I'm half asleep, I apologise. <laughs> 
Rachel Lucas is the author of three romantic comedies, Sealed with a Kiss, Coming Up Roses and Wildflower Bay, all published by Pan Macmillan. Her most recent novel, The State of Grace, is a YA novel published in Australia in March and then in the UK this month, before hitting the US, France and other territories worldwide in 2018. So welcome to the program, Rachel. Thanks so much for coming in to have a chat with us today. Thank you for having me. All right, let's start at the beginning. Because you and I have actually been, you know, palling around on social media, so to speak. For people who've never met, we're sort of quite chatty on social media <laughs> um, and have been for many, many years now. But um, let's, I remember when, when, you know, Sealed with a Kiss came out because that's, that's how we roll. When you're on social media, you know this stuff. But you, you sort of began your author journey writing romantic comedies for adults. Was that the first book you, you ever wrote? Um, no. The first book I ever wrote um, was a pony story when I was 11. Ah. And I, I typed it on my typewriter, proper old-fashioned typewriter. I used to do it every night after school. And I spent months and months on it. And it was basically an absolutely terrible amalgam of every pony story I'd ever read in my life. And then I, I went to the post office and I bundled it up into an envelope and I posted it to a publisher and, and said, I have written this book. And I went to the library and I did the, you know, checked out what you were supposed to do if you were submitting a book. And I did it all correctly. And I uh, sent it to a publisher and, uh, and they wrote back and said, uh, dear Rachel, thank you so much. And they sent the book back. But thank you so much for um, sending us your book. Uh, we think it's wonderful and it's great that you're writing, um, although it's not quite what we're looking for right there. <laughs> Get back to us in but 10 keep years. writing. Now, the- the publisher was Pan, as they were then. No. So it's really sweet that I end up, you know, all these years later, slightly more than I'd like to admit, um, being published by Pan Macmillan because they were the publisher of all the pony stories I loved. So that was actually my first book. How so. fantastic. All right. Well, <laughs> there was a slight <laughs> gap between the pony story and Seal oh, yes. with a Kiss. Um, yes. How did where, did, where did, where did we go in the meantime? How did that book come to be published? Well, Seal with a Kiss actually started a good um, sort of 15 years before I wrote it when I moved to the island of Butte with my ex-husband um, when we were first married. And Right back then, I thought, I'd really like to write a story about somebody coming to live on this island because it was such a unique experience. Um, the island isn't very big, and everybody really does know everybody. And there, it's such a funny combination. There are no secrets, and yet there are, yet there are lots of secrets. Mm. And so I thought, there's a real, there's a story in this. But life and having four children sort of got in the way, and... So it was, uh, you know, a really long time before I finally sat down and started writing it. And what um, did you, how did you go about that when you started, you know, when you sat down to actually start writing it, was it like, did you have notes that you'd made all that time before or did you just sort of think, right, the time is right, I'm going to pull that story out of the air? Well, actually what happened was I realised that if I didn't sort of startle myself into it, it was quite possible that I would never write because I had that, that, that thing of, you know, I'm going to write a book that people have. And, and they sort of think that a fully-fledged, perfect novel is just going to suddenly appear one day on the computer. Um, and so I, I signed up to do NaNoWriMo. And uh, I thought, right, this is the sort of thing that appeals to me. You know, I have a challenge. I have a certain number of words to do per day. 
And I was a blogger, so I knew that if I blogged about it, there would be some accountability, and that would make me do it. So I did NaNoWriMo, and I did the 50,000 words. And then I just kept on going until I'd finished it. Um, because so once I got to 50,000 words, it felt like an actual book, and I felt like I knew what I was doing. And I didn't really plan it. I, I, If you could go back and look at my Google history then, it would have things like, what is a scene and how long is a chapter? <laughs> and, you know, I, I was, and I was just, the thing is, I had done a degree in English and I have always been a voracious reader. So I think um, you've got an instinctively good knowledge of story if you read a lot. So I, I had, a you know, the basic idea of this is what needs to happen. There needs to be, you know, I want there to be sort of three acts, but I didn't know any more than that. And the fact that it ended up, being called Sealed with a Kiss and being about a girl who rescues uh, a, an abandoned baby seal was as much a shock to me, I think, as anybody else because the seal just popped up one day when I was writing. So, as they do, um, those seals. As they do, yes. <laughs> so, okay, so, okay, so you've written this book, you've, you've blogged your way through NaNoWriMo because, of course, you know, I think that's probably where we... Did we first find yes, right each other through that's blogging? We did, 2000, didn't we? Two thousand and nine, yes. I think yeah. back in the blogging days. Yeah. Back in the blogging heydays. Um, so yes. you've you've uh, you've got this thing. You've written this this thing. What did you do then? How did the book come to be published? Well, I um, I actually put it in a drawer, uh, metaphorically. Obviously, I mean we always say that. Put it in a metaphorical drawer um, for a few years um and I got divorced and again life kind of got in the way and and I think because I'd had an initial I had an agent who was interested in publishing a book of my blog which was a very lovely lifestyle blog mm. I'd said oh do you want to have a look at my book that I've written and she didn't like it and so I did that thing that you see people doing of course I got one knock back and thought oh well it's obviously awful and so I shelved it but then you know I moved to the seaside and started a new life and um and a girlfriend of mine who is a really successful self-publisher said, I love that book. I wish you would just publish it. And so I decided, you know, I actually, it was very much, oh, well, I'll just give it a go and we'll see what happens. And I, you know, I just kind of thought, well, you know, if a hundred people read it, then I'll be quite pleased. Um, and so I hit publish. Wow. Uh, uh Within six weeks, 60,000 people had downloaded it. So, wow. it, and it was number seven in the overall Amazon chart in the UK. And it just, I, and I think it was, you know, it really took me by surprise and I, I didn't expect it at all. And mm -hmm. so I kind of came into it in a really funny way because I, I did the self-publishing and it, it did really well. And then I started to get emails from agents. So I did it, you know, well, it's quite a calling card, isn't it? It's quite a business card. Like here I am with my top 10 Amazon bestselling yes, exactly. <laughs> novel. How do you like me so far? <laughs> yeah. Well, except of course, um, not knowing anything about this. I, I mean, I'm, I'm in the, the, the writing social media world is so lovely and friendly that I knew a lot of, you know, published authors and they were saying, oh, Rachel, I hope you're screen grabbing these Amazon placings because these are amazing. And I was thinking, are they? Because I didn't know what was good and what wasn't good. And all I was thinking was, oh, well, it's not number one. That's <laughs> it's like, no, that's number seven is really good. You know, um, and uh, so I sort of 
I wish I could go back actually and, and tell me past me, you know, really enjoy this because I think I was so stunned by it all that I didn't really take it in. I would have had to so. Google how to do a screen grab. <laughs> Yes. At that point. <laughs> I did. I did, actually. I didn't even know how to do that either. Oh, that's so. funny. Um, all right. So, okay. So, then agents started calling you. And so, the process for your follow-up books was then relatively uh, straightforward, was it? Much more straightforward because I um, I signed with my agent um, and then we got a deal. We actually published – Silver the Kiss was then published by Pandit Mill and sort of taken over by them. Hmm. And – um, and I had a deal to write two more books and also a novella. And so I sort of set off on the traditional path, which was you know, an interesting experience or has been an interesting experience. Well, so. it's certainly becoming more and more interesting every day from what I can see. Yes. But why do you think you were drawn to romantic comedy in the first place? Like what do you think was what, – what took you into that sort of genre in the first place? Well, I think – I was thinking about the other day, somebody asked what, you know, what would be my desert island book? And I think my number one would be Pride and Prejudice. Mm. And um, I think that the um, the social side of that, and the, but also I really like the humour in that book. And, and it sort of, it came on from that. I've always really liked authors like Katie Ford um, and Joe Mansell. Um, and I, I like their... The humour. I also like the fact that they're able to take, they, they take issues, um, and you know the books do sort of you know touch on subjects that are you know important to us all, but they do it in a light and a humorous way. And I like the idea of a book that you could read and relax with. And I think because it was a kind of book I liked reading myself, I thought, well, you know, that's what I'd like to do. Hmm. So. Yes, it's often the, the best case, isn't it, to start with something that you love reading to yeah. see if that's, you know, because if, if, you, if it strikes a chord with you as a reader, chances are it will also strike a chord with you as a writer. Exactly. Um, and what do you think the key to writing great romantic comedy is? I think it's um, having characters that you can relate to um, and, um, you know, making them really authentic because you have to really invest in the characters because the the basis of a romantic comedy is, um, and mine aren't, I don't say they're not funny, but they're not particularly funny. They're, they're, they're less, it's not slapstick, but there mm. is some humour. But the, the, we all know, you know, you, the, the, the boy meets girl, you know, something will happen and, you know, eventually boy and girl will get together at the end because that is basically the, the way that they work. So it's, it's, it really all hangs on the writing. And if you don't have characters that your readers can invest in, then they're not going to read the book. So for me, it's the key is character and, you know, and also setting actually is, is a really important to me. It's something that means a lot to me. Hmm. Okay, so you've now we, we, we've we've had a switch. There's a change of pace going on in your writing life because your new novel, uh, The State of Grace, is a is a YA novel, and it's quite different. I mean, I, I don't I don't call YA a genre. So, where would you place The State of Grace within the YA market? Like, what kind of um, you know spectrum was? Where would you put it? Basically, it's a contemporary romance, um, and it's also an own voices novel um which um i wrote it because uh, my daughter had got a asperger's diagnosis uh-huh. a few years ago after a long time of 
sort of pushing to get this diagnosis. And in the process of getting the diagnosis, I actually got one as well. And oh. so, <laughs> yes. Two for the price of one. <laughs> and, um, and so what I realised as, as Verity was growing up was, um, even before she had the diagnosis, we were really, you know, and I, and I know it's the same in Australia because I've done, you know, lots of reading that, you know, it's tricky over there to get, you know, for girls particularly to get a diagnosis. It can be a difficult thing. Um, that I would try and find something to say to her, look, if you read this. But the only books that were out there were The Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime, which was male protagonist, mm. or, you know, older books like The Rosie Project, again, a male protagonist. And the thing I liked about the own voices movement was that you were not only writing about a subject, but you were writing about it from your own perspective. Mm. So I'm writing as an autistic writer about autism. And um, so it gives it an extra layer of, well, authenticity, I suppose, but also it makes it, I think, particularly relatable to um, people who, you know, who have, you know, autism or, you know, whatever the subject might be. So, um, so that's why, that's sort of where it sits. But, you know, but at heart, it's not a book about autism. It's a book about Grace, who's 15, and it's about first, I wouldn't say love, but, you know, your first sort of relationship and family things. So it's very sort of contemporary. It's set now. And what was your elevator pitch for that book when you were putting together your Here's My Book, you know? How do you, how do you describe it in, you know, three sentences? Uh, I would describe it I, – I always said, um, how do you follow the rules when they don't make any sense? Mm-hmm. Um, it's the story of Grace who – wants to try and work out where she fits in, but she's not sure if she even wants to. Yeah. So that's that's really what it's I about. I think we can all relate to that a little bit. <laughs> I, think so. I think so. And I think that's actually the, the thing that's really key is, is that the message from the book is really, you know, we're all muddling along, we're all trying to do our best, and we're all going to mess up. Um, yeah. And I think that's what I want people to take away from it is it's okay if you mess up because we all do. You know? Okay, and was the was the writing process different with this novel? Like, it's a quite a personal project for you on many levels. Um, did you approach it in a different way, or was it, um, or, or you know, was it just a sort of similar thing of I'm going to write this book and sit down and off you went? Really different, actually, because I am um, having written Sealed with a Kiss, sort of on spec. I have become quite a planner. Um, I always start off with my, you know, post-it notes and I work out what I'm doing. And with Grace, I did, obviously, I like to work out what I'm doing with the story with my post-it notes, but her voice just came into my head one day when I was walking along the road. And she said, um, yeah, I could totally be a popular if I wanted to. You just have to follow the rules. And this voice, I thought, okay, there's something here. But she wouldn't stop talking in my head. And eventually I thought, I better write some of this down because she's not going to shut up. <laughs> and, um, so kept, and so I was like, I would be having a shower and she'd be chatting away. And I thought, this is, this is going to have to happen. You're so, so lucky Peter, you're a writer because, you know, otherwise we'd, I have know. To be, we'd have to be having a chat, wouldn't we? <laughs> I know. <laughs> yes, I've got people talking in my head all the time. Oh, yeah. Um, you. So I... Um, I I started writing and I did a little bit, but I, I realized I wasn't, feel, I didn't feel brave enough because it was so personal. And I actually put it to one side for a year and I wrote Wildflower Bay 
And then I had just finished Wildflower Bay and it had just come out in October and I felt, right, I'm going to have a break, you know, um, relax. And then Grace went, no, you're not. You're going to write this book. And um, I wrote um, the whole thing in about six weeks, the first draft of it. It was really fast. Mm. Uh, and uh, it just poured out. And I, I did, you know, I did sit down. Once I started to realise this book is not going to stop, stop coming out, I sat down and I kind of plotted it out. But then I found that I was just, I was writing, you know, five, 6,000 words a day really easily. It just, I wish I could do that all the time. Mm-hmm. So. I find it interesting you say that, that you, because um, I think that this is a, a question that comes up a lot with writers, is that notion that you, um, and it happened, I guess, with me a little bit with the Mapmaker Chronicles as well, because I had never written anything like that. And I could tell from the very first minute that it was going to be a project of some scope. And I yes. never attempted anything like that. So the sense where you said you weren't, you know, quite brave enough to to have a crack at it at that point, I think is a really interesting one. And, and it's something that I, I it's important to, I guess, recognize do you think that fear for what it is and yes and not be you know not be completely put off by it sometimes you do need to put them away for a little while but you and come back to it but um it is definitely just a a sense of oh no I'm not up to this isn't it mm-hmm. as opposed to anything else it, it really is I think it's um it's massive imposter syndrome mm. and it's also perfectionism and it's this thing that we all have that what, what we actually mean when we say I'm too scared to write it is I'm scared I'm going to write it and it's not going to be perfect. But of course, a first draft is never going to be perfect. Mm. Um, and until you've actually told yourself the story by writing it down, you you don't have anything to work on. And um, I, you know, I've, I'm actually thinking about an adult book at the moment, and I've I've been having the same thoughts about oh, I don't know if I'm capable of writing it. And I have to remember, well, you know, it's come into my head for a reason. So, you know, I just have to get on with it, really. And trust. Yes, well, the trust, that's the thing, isn't it? You have to trust that the words will will do the job if you just let them get on with the job. (laughs) Don't get in their way too much. That would be good. Um, Now, the interesting thing, I think, about it is that it's also uh, the State of Grace has got a huge buzz around it. Like, it's been one of those books that uh, right from, like, when even when you first started really talking about it um and the reviews have been amazing and there's a lot of you know you've sold into however many territories and uh, did you like did did you were you shocked like did this like did you know this was a special book as you were writing it or was it like oh here I am with my first YA novel and maybe I should have just been doing this all along well I actually it's a really funny one because I always knew I would write YA and it was it's probably the thing that's sort of dearest to my heart because I really believe that the books that you read when you're growing up form partly form who you become. Mm. And um, and I feel very, very sort of warmly and very strongly about the books that I read and I still go back and reread them, you know, a lot and I would never part with them because I'm very sort of emotionally attached to them. Um so as I was writing it, yes, I think I did feel different. I did. I, I, I felt it was a very exposing book to write because I was writing a lot about my own teenage experience mm. and my daughter's experiences. 
But I was also thinking as I was writing this, I think this is going to make a difference to there's going to you know and and then I just kept thinking if if one girl reads this and feels understood I will actually feel like I've done what I needed to do with this it felt like it was something that had to be done and and then I announced we announced the um the the deal after Bologna book fair last year and I, I mean the tweets that I wrote I think it got retweeted like I don't know it's like 300 times or something, all these people from all over the world saying how excited they were were about a book about a girl who was autistic. Mm. Um, And I just thought something really amazing is happening here. And it was, it's, it's such a funny feeling. Yeah. I can't even imagine. (laughs) (laughs) I can't even imagine. Um, So do you you have an agent? You mentioned that before. What what did she say when you said, um, I've got this manuscript, but it's actually not romantic comedy this time. She's actually, Amanda, my agent, is absolutely brilliant. Um, I will, um, she's really collaborative. So I, I quite often will just send her a snippet and say, what do you think? Does this work? And I just sent her, when I first had the voice of grace in my head, I sent her an email with just a couple of little passages of, of, of grace talking and she just shot back straight away love this and and then I wrote back and said it's it's not a grown-up book and she said no that's okay and um she's she has such a lovely view of you know we work on this together and as she said basically my job is to let you write the books or to help you write the books that make you happy and I don't mind what they are you know as long as you're happy writing them so she's she's amazing oh she sounds great Oh, she is. She's absolutely wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, okay. So let's let's uh, move on to something slightly different. In the sense that, uh, as mentioned, we did meet online via blogging and Twitter and all those sorts of things. What, what role do you think that social media and your online platform, which is, you know, fairly substantial these days, I I was looking at your Pinterest account, thinking, wow, <laughs> yeah. we'll talk about that in a little while. But um, what what role do you think that that sort of has played in your career to date? I think it's key, really. I'd like to say that it wasn't. I mean, it's a bit of a double-edged sword because I love social media, personally. I like being on there and chatting. It's difficult because it's become work, which means it's very difficult for me to take my work hat off Mm -hmm. and just have have a laugh on Twitter. Um, But I think it is key. I think that getting to know other authors um, obviously helps in terms of, you know, getting your book out there, I think getting known in the publishing world. Um, but also, I think having the Twitter account, having the blog, having the Facebook, author Facebook page, I think it allows people to know you as a person. And, I mean, you don't have to give away, you know, everything about your life. And, I mean, there are lots of things that I obviously don't. But um, I think that, that I have a real sense that the, the, the reader's, that have followed me from right from the very beginning when I was blogging, when I was married and I was blogging and I was writing a lifestyle blog and I was writing state of um, writing sealed with a kiss. Sorry. Um, they've stayed with me and, and, and it doesn't matter even that I'm writing YA, you know, I've sort of said, I'm not sure how many people will read it. And I, I've been amazed by how many people have said, Oh, I can't wait to read. And I think, you know, 
I feel like we're all in it together. And I think that's really nice, actually. Mm. You know? mm. um, so you now offer, um, you actually do social media coaching, like you offer it on your website. Uh, what, what do you think is the main mistake that you see authors making? Like, what do you, what are you talking to people about? Like, what are they coming to you for? I think a lot of people come thinking, how do I sell my book? When actually, you know, you, you can't really use social media to sell your book. Um, you just, and it's, I'm always saying it's as simple and as difficult as just be yourself. Mm. So you have to um, be willing to, you, you can't, I mean, sometimes you just, you see people coming on and they say, well, why can't I just go on there? And uh, I don't like Twitter, but I want to use it to sell my book. Can't I just go on and tweet about my book? And I said, well, you can. But if you do, nobody's going to follow you because nobody wants to listen to somebody saying, buy my book, buy my book, buy my book. But if you're on Twitter and you're engaged with people and you're a person and you talk about, and I mean, I don't hold back. I talk about politics and I talk about, you know, my opinions about things and I'll talk about, you know, I've had a really rubbish day. Um, I think then when you actually do have to say, right, and I will sometimes I will just tweet guys I've got a book coming out so brace yourselves but nobody then everybody then says yeah don't worry about it because it's okay if you then have to go basically buy my book it's mm. here it's out yeah but actually what you find then is people support you yeah. and so what I say is just go on be yourself but also be generous retweet other people's things share other people's things talk to people you know just act like you would in in the real world, really, you know. <laughs> yes, don't run around with a placard, buy my book. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Gee, sometimes you feel like it, though, don't you? You feel like standing on a street corner just going, over here, buy yeah, my book, yeah. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so let's just have a quick moment to discuss Pinterest because I'm, I haven't actually come across an author that's got – you know, quite as many, you've got sort of nearly 20,000 followers there on Pinterest, um, which is a lot. Um, how did that come about? And like, is that, do you think it's a platform that maybe a lot of authors are not really investigating closely enough? I think so. I think the thing about Pinterest is it's, um, it's a visual medium. And of course we're used to, um, writing mm. and, but for me, because I'm a very visual person, the first thing I do, and the reason that I think my Pinterest kind of blew up was because right back when Pinterest first started, I was writing Sealed with a Kiss in sort of 2009, 2010. And I thought, oh, this is amazing. I can actually, I can find pictures that represent the, you know, the place that I'm writing about and I can find a character who looks exactly like my main character. And so I would draw together all these pictures and I'm, I'm gesticulating madly, I realise as, as I'm saying this, um, but I would draw together all these pictures <laughs> on, my, on my laptop and it would really help me to sort of immerse myself in this world. So it, it's become the thing that I do before I even start. And if you look at my Pinterest, you'll actually see there are a couple of, all my novels are on there. And so you can go and and I really like it because I'll say to people, go and have a look and you can really you can get a picture for the state of grace because you can see you know sort of behind the scenes but you can also get an idea of what what was you know the pictures of the world that i've created what it looks like um but there are also a couple of sort of books that didn't quite happen or maybe will happen in the future and they're on there but i also i mean 
I'm, I like Pinterest because I like looking at delicious recipes that I'll never make and amazing crafts that I'll never do and gorgeous houses that I'll never own. So, you know. I used to have a board on Pinterest. I don't even know if I've still got it, but it used to be called Things I Love But Will Never Do. <laughs> That was the name of the board. It's <laughs> got a similar name. Yeah, I just used to put everything on there that I loved the look of, but would never actually happen in my life. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Exactly. Um, and then I've also my. I think I have an entire board full of Aga cookers because I dream that one day I'm going to have one of these lovely Aga stove cookers. So. <laughs> and where do we find you on Pinterest? Are you just Rachel Lucas? I am Rachel Lucas One. Rachel Lucas um, one. Okay. So check it out people. Um, if you're looking for some authoring Pinterest ex- inspiration, Rachel Lucas one is your girl. Um, okay. So now you also have a family, as you mentioned, you have uh, four children, I believe currently yes. on school holidays as we speak and probably listening at the door. Um, but how do you fit the writing and all these, cause you know, the social media stuff can be, you know, it's a, it's a job in itself and you know, you've got a lot of other things going on. Like what, um, how do you fit it all in, I guess, is my question. I think um, we're very lucky in that my partner is also a writer. So we both work from home. Ah. Um, he's working on a book at the moment. And so actually at the moment I'm in sort of publication mode and he's in writing mode. And so we sort of juggle. Um, uh, I do the school runs um And I tend to use that time when I get to school to do, I catch up on social media while I'm sitting in the school car park. So that's, Mm. you know, morning and night is a good way of doing that. Um, And then I would love to say that I then come home and sit down in a disciplined manner and write for two hours before walking the dog (laughs) and doing yoga. But that would be a lie. (laughs) What actually happens is a lot of the time I, um, I sort of, try and forget about the fact that I have a book deadline until I'm quite close to the book deadline. Um, and then I tend to write it all in a sort of feverish burst um, where the children eat a lot of slightly burnt pizza and the house gets progressively more untidy um, because I'm the tidiest one in the family. So as soon as I kind of go off duty, um, every surface becomes covered in cups and newspapers and chaos. And then, of course, I emerge from the study, um, you know, halfway through a chapter and stuck on and go, look at the state of this house. And everyone goes, oh, she's at it again. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So, you know, situation normal for most writers there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry. I mean, I'd love to say I'm like the poster girl for, you know, organized writing, but. It would be a lie. Okay, fair enough. All right, so what's the next project for Rachel Lucas? Are you, you mentioned before you had another adult uh, an adult no- novel idea. Um, will you go back sort of to the romantic comedy or will you look for something different or what will you do? Well, my next project is actually my next YA book, which is ah. out next, early next year, which is called My Box-Shaped Heart. Ooh. And I'm very excited about that. And... Um, what I do tend to do, I suppose I should say, is I, 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 I sort of squash all the writing in at the end because what I do is I sort of wander around with the characters in my head for ages until the story sort of appears from the mists. And so when I'm writing, I, I pretty much know what's going to happen. Uh-huh. And then I'm sort of just dictating a, it's almost like dictating a, a, a movie in my head. Mm. Um, and um, so I'm going to be writing my box-shaped heart and then I am going to be working on my next adult book. 
um, which uh, I've actually written some of already. I, I actually I wrote thirty five thousand words, but I realised there was a, there was I wrote about it on my blog actually. You know, it's uh, in a blog post which I called something like "Why I Binned Thirty Five Thousand Words." <laughs> I didn't actually literally bin them. What I did was I thought, no, there's something not working here, but I've worked out what it is. So now I'm quite looking forward to going back to that book and and writing the next adult book. It's and such that a good is, feeling, that isn't it, when you you know something's not right and you you walk away from yes. it and you're sort of washing dishes or something and suddenly it's just like, oh, that's ah, right. oh, thank yeah. heavens for that. <laughs> Exactly. Well, I because I was, I just thought that's thirty five thousand words wasted. That's ridiculous. And everyone was saying, "Oh, words are never wasted. It's good practice." And I was thinking, hmm, "It's a waste." But no, I've, I I knew that there was something in there. It's a, uh, it's um, it's a romance. It's it's got some comedy in it. It's probably slightly more. Um, I suppose the term would be over here and it would be contemporary women's fiction you know uh-huh. it's a slightly less um rom-com and just slightly more you know it's not a drama mm-hmm. but it's just a little bit a little bit less funny you know but so that's pretty great you've you know you've got things on the boil things are coming up yes. which is which is where you like to be really isn't it it's good all right so let's finish up today um by talking about your top three tips for aspiring writers well, I've kind of touched on all of these, actually, in the process of this conversation. Um, my first would be um, to read a lot. I think um, it's absolutely vital um, because, as I said, if you if you read a lot, you really you understand how story works. And I think you understand how, you know, how to build a narrative and you understand you can you can see how characters work or which characters don't work. And I think. So for me, you know, it's it's really really important, mm-hmm. and I, I actually do put aside time for reading, and I I will actually I have to remind myself I'll say this is work, and I have, but I will actually say this is work. I will count reading as working time because mm-hmm. I think it's really really important. So that would be my my first one. My second comes back to um, our history, which is um, I think that writing a blog is really helpful because I think it gets you into a daily writing or regular writing habit I think you learn about you know structuring writing because you know your blog post has to have a beginning a middle and an end because you know if it's engaging people will read it and um, it obviously helps you to build up a readership as well which is you know again comes back to the author platform thing we talked about mm. um and um and my th- Third is if you're going to write something, get it finished. This is what I always tell people when I'm doing workshops and classes. So true. Everybody says, I've got, oh, I've written 10,000 words, I've written 20,000 words, and I say, oh, where's the rest? And they say, oh, oh well, and, and the thing is, and I've been there, that thing of, oh, I've, I've written three chapters and I'd like to send it to an agent, and I have to say, they're, they're going to want to see the whole thing. Because one of the things that they, they they don't just want to see that that you can write, they also want to see that you can follow through and actually finish writing. So, um, and also, I think it's so important because you know you get it finished. You've also you're going to have to finish it again when you do the edits. You're going to have to finish another one when you have you know if you're lucky and you get you know two or three book deal. Finishing a book has to become something that you get used to doing. I think so. So and you can't true. edit something that's not done. So, you know, 
Um, there you have it, people. Rachel Lucas, a member of the Finish the Dan Book Club. Yes. <laughs> yes which definitely. has got some excellent members, let me tell you. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time today. The State of Grace is out now in Australia and the UK and coming to other places, you know, very, very soon, which is fantastic. Um, where do we find you online, Rachel? Are you rachellucas.com? Um, I am rachellucas.com. That's my website. My Facebook page is Rachel Lucas Writer. Um, my um, Twitter account is Taramina, which is um, which I've never changed and has I been know, since the, the olden days. Um, so, but if you search Rachel Lucas on Twitter, I'll come up. You'll see me that way. Um, but yes, I'm, I'm still old school on Twitter. I think it's hilarious, you know, that you and I both, you can totally tell that our entire social media networking and stuff all was very organic because everything's different. <laughs> and now I go to fly, I go to workshops and stuff and I say, make sure that all of oh. your, you have the same handle yes. across all the platforms, you know, and um, I do. don't I have do what I did. <laughs> That's why I say to don't. Do do as I say, don't do as I do, because exactly. this is exactly. And then people say, well, but it works for you. And it's like, well, it's sort of built up over time. Yeah, it's not yeah, really yeah. the answer. Do you want to put, put this I much time lot, in? Well, yes. And also I spend a lot of time having to say, uh, yes, well, I'm this on Pinterest. I'm this on Instagram. Actually, on Instagram, I am Rachel Lucas. I'm oh. just Rachel Lucas. So Goodness that's my... Me. I should be just using that. Um, and but we should, yeah, I, we should also point out that Rachel is R-A-C-H-A-E-L, Lucas, yes. L-U-C-A-S. Yes. There you go. All right. Well, thank you so much. You'll find all the links in the show notes. And um, we just like to say thank you once again for coming and having a chat. And I hope the state of grace goes gangbusters for you. Oh, brilliant. Well, thank you so much for having me. Okay, fantastic interview with Rachel. I just love how she's really embraced the idea that an author platform is, you know, really important. Well, she says, I mean, as she says in the interview, like it, it's, you know, it's it's key for her and she feels like, you know, it's been key for her career um, in the sense of of building. And, of course, she's, you know, she's got several more books coming out in the next couple of years and um, State of Grace is going into, you know, foreign, more foreign territories, including the US and France in 2018. So I think um, she, well, she put it, she's very much an advocate and she, she does coaching and she's sort of trying her best to kind of encourage other authors to follow in her footsteps. And I think it's great. The thing that I found so fascinating, which is why I had to actually like call it out and have a proper discussion about it in the interview mm. was the Pinterest thing, because I think yeah. um, it's a, it's often overlooked by authors. And I do talk about it in the build your author platform course, because it, you know, it can be a, a fantastic way of bringing attention, not just to your books, but to your website as a whole. Yeah. And, you know, she has nearly 20,000 uh, Pinterest followers, which is a big audience for an author, uh, for people who may not discover her books any other way. Like it's such a visual site and she uses it to keep sort of like keep track of her worlds and her characters and to immerse people in those, um, mm. you know, the people that follow her boards and things like that. Um, and I think that uh, I, the thing I think I take from that is that um, it's it's just that advice that we give all the time, which is to give everything a try and see mm. what works best for you. Like I think yeah. it's um, don't dismiss something because you think, oh, really? Pictures of bathrooms, which is pretty much how I <laughs> used to think of Pinterest. You know, like Ma who's going to care? Mine's now pictures of macrame. 
Well, see, there you go. Valerie's got pictures of macrame. You can put whatever you like on your Pinterest boards and it will appeal to lots of different people. But um, by by having those different boards, you know, she is appealing to a lot of people and those people then also see pins about her book and see pins about her, her events and all the different other things that she does. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's definitely something that if, if you're not loving social media, like if you're not loving Twitter or you're not loving Facebook or you're not loving some aspect of it, maybe try something different. Yeah. And it might just work out really well for you. Absolutely. And, of course, this and other fantastic platform building tips are all in Alison's course, How to Build Your Author Platform, which gives you an actual blueprint on the steps you need to take in order to build your author platform. And anyone who is serious or even semi-serious about becoming an author, make sure you do the course and you take action and make sure you do it sooner rather than later, not after your book has come out. Of course, if your book has already come out, it's never too late. But where you can, I suggest getting in early because that's where you're actually going to get the leverage and the benefit. So to find out more, go to writerscenter.com.au slash platform. That's writerscenter.com.au slash platform. It's an awesome, awesome course. All right, that brings us almost to the end of this week's episode. Al, what's happening for you this coming week? Uh, I'm just, you know, chugging along really. I'm still uh, editing, as I mentioned earlier, the book two of the Adaban Cipher series, which is coming out in 2018 uh, with book one, of course, in September this year. Um, And and I've got, you know, I've been doing quite a bit of uh, promo stuff for the Mapmaker Chronicles number four, Beyond the Edge of the Map. So I'm just keeping all the balls in the air because it's pretty um, pretty much what I need to do. And I'm leading up, of course, to the launch in the US of the Mapmaker Chronicle series books one to three so lots to do Valerie what about you busy I'm not that exciting I will probably be spending half the week if not all of the week trying to wrestle with my iPhone because (laughs) I attempted earlier this week to um get my you know get my new iPhone started and Mm. as in to suck over all of the stuff from the old iPhone so I don't have to download all my apps and, you know, all that kind of thing. And honest to God, I started at 8.30 in the morning and by 7.30 I was ready to give up. Admittedly, I wasn't doing it 100% that time because it needed to download all this stuff. It needed to upload all this stuff. And then it needed to download all this other stuff. Then it needed to upload all this other stuff. So I had to wait for that to happen, you know, and sometimes it would take 45 minutes or whatever. So, but I really did take from, you know, focused on it from 8.30 to 7.30, after which I was going crazy, going bonkers. I feel like something's gone wrong here, Valerie. Well, I don't, I don't know. Well, here's the thing, right? So I then decided that's it. I'm just giving up and I've gone back to my old phone because Apple's meant to be really easy. (laughs) Can I just share? It's not meant to be this hard. Well, I I upgraded to, uh, I had to get a new phone last week and I went in and I did it all at the Telstra shop and uh, the whole process took 59 seconds. They swapped, they, they put everything, they just did it there on the spot for me, swapped everything across so from my old phone to my new shop. phone. And it's just 59 seconds later, I had the whole thing ready to go, walked out of the shop with it. So I'm not entirely certain. But you know what? I think I think there's a tip in this for everyone because um, one thing I did do this week was I, I got uh, a, an iPod for my youngest son. Um, 
you know, to play his music on and stuff like that. And I I made the mistake of doing it, you know, when I was in a hurry, I was on my way to something else. We needed it to go somewhere, you know, and we were doing all of that sort of stuff. And of course, biggest mistake ever is to swap technology, to do any form of technological anything when you're busy. Because yeah. you just know it's going to go wrong. It's not mm. going to work. When it mm. doesn't matter, it takes 59 seconds. When you're on the <laughs> clock, it takes four and a half days. Like it's just ridiculous. It's like yeah. when you need the printer to work. Does it work? Oh. It never works. That's right. That's mm. right. So okay. there's our tip for the day. Yeah, absolutely. But I'm thinking that you might need to actually just go back and go get to the shop. assistance with that. Yeah. I think I will. All right. <laughs> so where do we find you online now? You'll find me at alisontait.com, A-L-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T.com. You'll find me on Twitter at, at Al Tate, A-L-T-A-I-T. And you'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at Alison Tate Writer. What about you, Val? Where do we find you? You'll find me at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, on Twitter and Instagram. And, of course, feel free to connect with us on Facebook. We're both pretty easy to find. And um, let us know on social media what you think of the podcast. We'd love to hear from you. In the meantime, thanks so much for listening, everyone, and uh, we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writercentre.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentre.com.au slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more.